You are listening to OP Breakdowns. I am Charles, also known as Omnis, and I'm here with Danny, a.k.a. the Slayer of Scissors. Danny, what's going on, my man? I mean, my job is to crush stupid-ass scissors because they have a full monopoly on paper, all right? Yeah. And I'm not having it anymore. Are you just so, saying that you're a paper supporter, that you are just, you're backing paper 100%? I am a passive supporter of paper, not because I love, you know, the paper family, but because I hate scissors that much. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, what's going to be the, so this is our second, um, our second breakdown. Danny, what's the topic? Uh, we're going to be breaking down going for the D actually. And it's actually <laughs> going, going for, for <laughs> your opponent's uh, secure. Right. How to do it, which characters are really like thinking about it, how you can push them out of it, um, how you can score points or at least keep your opponent from scoring points early and why you would do so. So, listeners, if we can kind of like give you a visual for this, if you imagine that you sat down, you're playing Spider Portals or Cosmic Invasion or Extremist Console. We're talking about the D that is directly in front of your opponent's deployment zone. We're talking about the ways that you can threaten it immediately. And maybe like these these discussions can also be your ability to threaten it in other turns. It's not just round one plays, but we are going to talk about the ability to go after it immediately um, and how to play around that kind of stuff. So, um, let's see. So, Danny, what are the what are the best examples of the characters that can kind of pull this off? These are your long movers in general. Right. Or your medium base, medium movers, people who can move very quickly up the board. And there's not a lot you can do about their ability to move to your side of the table. Um, this is like your Angela, your amazing Spider-Man, your lizards, stuff like that. Um, so before we say lizard necessarily, let's I want to be specific. So Black Panther, technically, if the table was completely mathematically correct and you were able to position Panther mathematically perfectly and were able to move him his absolute maximum distance with placing off of the tip, he technically can contest an opponent's D if everything is perfect. But it is so ridiculously close that it's not something that you could plan for without some sort of support. Angela and Amazing Spider-Man are really the only two characters that, like, with no other um, uh, involvement support. can do it really casually. We do have, like, this is, we, we've talked about it with my X-Men before. I very commonly use the Storm Jump to set up sending other characters to my opponent's D, especially on spider portals. But then I also played around with it utilizing uh, Lockjaw in Inhumans, um, but really Lockjaw could set up anyone for it. That range three place from uh, with Lockjaw can can also get characters super far up the table, which allows them to move for that sort of positioning. And this is not this is surprisingly like a play that you don't actually see that often. I think sometimes it catches people really off guard. Um, have you actually had anyone do this to you yet, Danny? Uh, I absolutely have had someone do this to me. Um, well, I had someone do something very similar to me on a B, essentially, during the season seven, actually. Uh, it was a doc voodoo, right? Because medium base, medium move got to yep. my side B. And there was another character, I don't remember who it is on the top of my head, but essentially they forced me to, I was on my back foot 
effectively, right? Because they're now on my B. It was affinity formula, right? Where it's secure. It's like, cool, I move a character up. It, uh, we're neutral. They're scoring theirs. This is not great for me, actually, right? They've blocked me from scoring points. They're scoring points. So they're up around one, which is incredibly bad for me. Um, but I wanted to mention that one of the other characters who can freely do this is actually Ant-Man. Oh, yeah. Right? Because he can do the walk and then um, transform and then free place himself and then walk. So, yeah, he gets there no problem. That's probably like he's just, super he's hanging easy. out, right? Yeah. He's not as scary on uh, spider portals in that situation because he's not going to have the ability to interact because he'll have spent his power. But on an extremist console or something, that could be a really significant way to lose a point. Or if you're playing Criminal Syndicate, oh, yeah. that could be a really, like having a three threat character suddenly be over there. Cause a lot of time people only leave one character on their, like their home D let's, we just call it the home D. Yeah. Uh, the home depot. Um, the, for a criminal syndicate player to just like bring in an Ant-Man. Cause we've already discussed, like, I think the community by we, I mean the proverbial, we as the community has said that Ant-Man is a solid character in syndicate, man. I'm sur- kind of surprised that syndicates never done that. Cause I do think the D's are really good for them and the ability to go, Oh, you only left one person back there. Sweet. My three thread is just going to, you know, go over there. No assistance needed and just gank it from you. Yeah. Um, there's always like the secret tech of playing Kingpin with Ant-Man and going after like their gamma, going after their back point because you just bully them out and they're like, cool, you want to punch Ant-Man? Go for it. Yep. It's nuts. So um, obviously I think Angela is the easiest one to reference because she just does it by herself and she's, well, she's a fairly beefy chick. Um some of my favorite people that need a little bit of assistance, but can get there and then like also displace someone potentially um, is juggernaut after either a lockjaw teleport or the storm hop um, can move and then slide and be in a position to punch someone off the point. Right. Yep. Cause if they get the wild, they just send that character flying and they get to score it anyway. That requires obviously a successful role. Hulkbuster can do the hop. No problem. And then advance uh, use hit and run, yeah. repulsor blast someone off the point, and they get the auto push, and then, um, then do their last movement to get on the point from the hit and run, um, and then Loki with mind gem. It's a little bit harder. The storm hop plus two medium moves on a thirty-five millimeter base can fail if there's terrain in the wrong spot. Um. So you got to you would have to be mindful of that and kind of like keep an eye. And I suggest actually kind of mathing this out on a table so you can kind of see where Loki would need to go after the movement. Um, and it gets a little bit easier if he can hop off of a 50 millimeter base. So in X-Men, that would be like, say you use Beast and have Beast hang on that back. Obviously, Beast is probably not a great example because we're talking about like spider portals. But let's just say hypothetically that you had a medium a 50 millimeter base character there for you. It does make it a little bit easier for Loki to get over there. And then they get to like mind stone someone off and then still have the power to interact on that portal. Um, those can be huge, huge swings. Yeah. Um, my interpretation of this scenario is that if you're going to go for this sort of play, right. Is that you want to warp the game in your favor. Yes, absolutely. You're going, hey, I'm either denying you points or I'm actively scoring points. 
Uh, yeah, I would generally not do this to simply deny a point. I think in most cases, I think you want to do this with the intention of scoring a point. Otherwise, it might be a little risky. Like, for example, I've done this with Doctor Strange or Corvus in X-Men, where I just send them over to that point because I think they can flip it over a character. Like, sometimes they don't even have the character still on the portal. They, like, moved away, or maybe they walked onto the point, and then I teleported them off. Um, sometimes I might even, like, if they fail the skull, I might teleport them, like, kind of towards something to incentivize them to, like, not just move back to the point. Like, ooh, I kind of sent you towards this towards this D that I plan to abandon anyway. So why don't you go that direction? Then that like, they take the bait and they move that way. And they're like, sweet, move, move, you know, or hop, move, move, take it. Um, and then I've had people like lay into Dr. Strange and then he's like, all right, I'll heal myself and then double move back. Yep. And just party down, hanging out. <laughs> um, like, all right. I'm up on points. Now it's on you to make something happen. Yeah, and that's ultimately if you're going to play aggressive play like this, where you're either pushing them off or you're, you're doing something on their side of the board, you're doing it because it gives you a significant advantage in some way. Um, you're doing it because you are trying to gain a point advantage, and at that point, you are just not dominating, but you're dictating the battle lines at that point from forward. Yeah, you've that's it can really easily be a thing that switches the game state really significantly at any given moment where one, you can either if your opponent knows it's coming, you can force them to want to keep a character back there. And maybe it's a character that's a little bit more durable than they would like. Maybe they don't want to just have a two threat hanging back there because then they could, you know, if you move one of these big characters over there, like, say, Corvus and say you just had Toad sitting there or Bullseye sitting there or something. And then I get to steal it from you because, you know, I'm rolling three dice counting skulls or I got four dice. So I get it from you anyway. And then next round, if you leave that character there, I might kill that character and keep controlling the point because, you know, you just only had a little two threat there. And now suddenly you're totally out of position where you don't have any character that can just start making attacks on that person because you moved everyone else into the middle and that that can that can totally backfire on players. Correct. And one of the other things that can actually backfire on a player is like, okay, let's say it's an Angela. Right? She's going in, she's diving hard, going all crazy and everything, but you fail to kill her. Right? Yep. She's now sitting on five, six power. She's like, cool, this is great. I'm going to murder the world now. <laughs> and so it's a situation where you have to think really carefully about what's going to happen that turn, because if you just uh, glance that character and don't actually kill them, you're helping them. Now, we obviously, we don't have as much med pack anymore. So this play might get a little bit scarier, you know, especially depending on who's doing it and whether or not they can heal, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, Matt, maybe we're we're hitting a time period where I might be more likely to send X-23 over and like plan for that. Like the middle of the table is kind of empty. And I think I can get X-23 to the point and you didn't leave someone there. Maybe I'm only sending a small character that, you know, is going to be kind of hard to remove anyway. Um, could also be something that I think about. Um, but I do want to talk a bit about like how can you kind of counter this as well? Um, and one of the things that I hated the most was the first time I was playing, I think it was a Midnight Suns player and they actually deployed Ghost Rider within range one of the D anyway. So 
uh, they moved someone up to like kind of secure it because they didn't intend to leave Ghost Rider there. Yeah. So they had already flipped it. So now there was two people contesting. And I know if I go for it, then I'm literally just standing in front of Ghost Rider ready for him to double attack me. <laughs> That's like my number one dread situation. Yeah, like leaving your big hitters for a little later in the turn where they're like, oh, I have to walk into your big bad. And I don't love that move, actually. Yeah, any of the big base characters can be kind of scary there, like Hulkbuster too, right? Because he can just stand contesting and he's like, he can just totally just push you off. Oh, I'll push you off and then I will just move on to the point for free and then shoot you again. And, you know, that can be a rough spot for sure. But I mean, maybe that's part of the payoff, right? Where you convince your opponent to leave their five or six threat character kind of standing next to their back D and you know, that's where the balancing act comes in. Right. Cause you've got to manage both situations. You're like, well, I want to get to the middle of the board, obviously with like a goat with a, a Hulk buster, right. He, he could walk once just to like the middle D's, right. He could easily walk once and then um, hit and run, shoot someone off and then hit and run onto the point and interact, which is a pretty powerful activation, especially for round one, but any round, and so you want to set that kind of stuff up, but if he's um, if he's back contesting that central D tend to protect it, and this is where like just having that play, having it available to you, can kind of force your posi- your opponent to position in a less uh, less optimal way for yourself. Like ultimately, there's two ways of looking at this kind of move, right? Is that you're trying to get a point advantage, or you're trying to force them to deal with whatever it is you're setting over there. Right. Like yep. if you're sitting in Angela, an amazing Spider-Man, you're like, cool, your two threat, your three threat probably can't deal with my character. So you have to make an active choice. Are you going to ignore my five threat or are you going to deal with my five threat? And then I get to choose after the fact what happens from that point forward. Yeah, 100%. Now, there are some ways to counter it with some uh, cheaper characters, right? Because say... Uh, Zemo, anytime that he's getting an extra power, say just Zemo under Captain America or something, um, Zemo can position right where um, you theoretically, like maybe you position directly across from a D, but he doesn't get onto the D uh, with a long move. So you could kind of position him in such a way where he could still charge and threaten the home D or he can still easily walk and charge the middle line D's. And so having some of those plays ready to go ways where you can still get to the midline D if you want to, but you're positioned in such a way where you can still threaten the, the home D to punish someone for going after it um, is also still an absolutely great play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now I think we've seen the say, People don't like people are doing this with X-Men now. I think I've gotten the word out. People like it. People are trying it. It's exciting. It's fun. Your opponents hate it. Um, I really do think people should try this with Inhumans more often because I enjoyed the fuck out of this with Lockjaw and uh, Black Bolt. Like it's pretty easy to get someone over there and set that up. And it's just a range three place with Lockjaw. He's kind of a perfect character to be like hanging back on your home D and you know, say you just send up a Doctor Strange or whoever, um, it'd be really easy for them to then move back and be hanging out with Lockjaw to just like then reinvigorate Lockjaw again. 
And yeah. so I think people should consider this within humans more often. I think uh, to abstract this out a little bit, if you have ways to move characters out of activations, you enable this for more characters in your roster. So it's yep. like your Red Skulls, your Lockjaws, your Heimdalls, right? Like ways to move your characters to allow them to do things out of activation. Now, this is like where uh, R&D comes in, right? And to enable these like round one plays or round two plays where you're now using this ability to dictate the battlefield effectively. Yeah, I agree. And I, I know we're talking about this mostly from a round one perspective, but this is something when you're playing on D's, this is one of the things that can infuse a roster to be really good at D's in the way that the average roster isn't. And if you include these kind of tools, because say like Heimdall is getting more popular and maybe he's not a character that you're going to do this on round one that often, because maybe you don't want to advance R&D for that specific situation. But that doesn't mean that down the road, you couldn't, um, you know, you know, hey, Loki is also Asgard affiliated, right? It would be really easy for Loki to be hanging out on that point. And then you're like, well, he's not quite in a position where I think he can get there. But if Heimdall teleports him forward, now I kind of have him kind of centrally and he could easily double move now to any of the other three points and bow someone off with the Mind Stone and then totally fuck up everybody's activations there. And that sort of positioning tool just gives you some, excuse me, gives you some flexibility that a lot of other teams don't have. Yeah, that's why I think dictating like in this game, just abstractly again, right, is that if you can dictate the interactions or the actions and how they're playing out, you are advantaged uh, simply because you're forcing your opponent into making a decision that you know they have to do. And therefore, you could think about what to do after the fact at that point. And if yep. they're constantly in a position where they're reacting to you, you're in control of tempo, and therefore, you ideally are setting up scenarios where they're disadvantaged. Well, and, you know, say, talking from a tournament perspective, right, if you're playing in a timed round event that doesn't use chess clocks, there is such a huge advantage to going up on points, just if you can be up five to three or four to three or six to four, whatever, like getting that early lead now means that you can play a little bit more conservatively. And as long as you still have that point lead when the game ends, I'm not, I'm not suggesting to slow play, right? But you don't have to be stressed if your opponent is taking a lot of time. If you're always one to two points ahead, you're like, well, take as much time as you want. Cause if the game, if the round ends and they call, you know, dice down, I'm ahead on points. <laughs> and so being able to make one of these plays go up a point or two can be a huge deal, especially like if that character's not holding an extract and you're not losing anything significant, even if that character does get dazed, or if you draw, sometimes it's worth it, even if you do draw in, like, Maybe you send a character to that point, even with Ghost Rider there. Like, say, say you are doing Loki, right? Like, maybe X-Men hop, double move Loki, and then you bow the Ghost Rider away. So you can still interact and guarantee it. And now he's not in range three. And does he want to walk up and just swing at Loki? Like, 
and you like does keeping Ghost Rider there kind of in the back, like is that worth it? Maybe it is. Yeah. Right? Um the thing about Ghost Rider specifically is that he doesn't actually want to use Hell on Wheels. Right? Oh yeah. Like can he? Absolutely. Right? Like what go in, make the move and everything and go ham. But spending three power isn't what he actually wants to do in his turn. What he wants to do is start doing the beams, start doing all his crazy ass attacks, right? Using the power to uh, react to critical dice and everything. Like that's what he actually wants to do. If you're forcing Ghost Rider to spend power, that's ultimately good for you. Well, especially in some of these teams, like I'm not going to make that many attacks, so I don't really plan on powering up Ghost Rider if I can help it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's still all. Even some of these advantages are not entirely just point-oriented. Controlling where those characters are going to go can be so amazing. And like I said, on Spider Portals, sometimes people get teleported off of it anyway. They move the character there, and then they interact, and then they roll the skull, so they get moved away. So sometimes, like in Inhumans, sometimes I just sent like Quicksilver. I'm just like, all right, uh, we will teleport Quicksilver with Lockjaw, and then Quicksilver would just double move up there and interact, and he's so fast, like, you know, oh, you hit him, that's cool, you hit him again, he's gonna, like, he's gonna, I'm too fast for you, catch me if you can, and he, like, zooms away, and you're like, I hate this. Uh, But, you know, even if you lose Quicksilver, you're still like, well, I went up a point, now you kept this heavy hitter over there dealing with Quicksilver, and you're not gonna KO him, because he's you know, fucking Quicksilver. Quicksilver. By the way, Quicksilver back. is one of those characters for me that my Quicksilver always dies. And my opponent's Quicksilvers are like invulnerable to me. Yeah, I 100% see this happen. It's like when you need things to happen, I mean, like that's just like dice warping your point of view, right? But it, when you need things to happen, your character just never does it. Uh, can't they do it? Sure. But you're looking at the table and you're like, ah, oh, I really need like just two hits. All oh, blanks. Like, yep, that just happened. Uh, we're living this life. Yeah. And it's like, and this is not just me being uh, dice sensitive because it's like, I know there's also the opposite. Like, my voodoos are fucking invulnerable. Like, I don't know what it is, but I always think my voodoo will survive things that they shouldn't and it works. Um, but my, my quicksilvers just die. Um, but back to the the going long, the going for the D. Um, I think this is also just a really important strategy. Like if you're going to include these support tools like Lockjaw or Heimdall or playing the Storm Leadership or playing a super maneuverable character like Angela, I think you need to look for these sort of situations because otherwise the characters may not be worth it. Correct. Like, uh, ultimately, my theory, right, of roster picking is that each character you pick needs to have a defined role. Like, they're there because they're achieving something for you, whatever that something is for you is. But if they don't have an active, we're doing X, why are they even there? Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I've presented this in largely, like, totally crisis oriented plans but you can also play this in kind of an aggressive plan like if you have a charging character in inhumans say zemo or rogue or something it would be really easy to use um the inhumans leadership plus lockjaw where lockjaw just like all right i'm gonna tell you know he you know because you got the other guy there he gets to be a good old boy get a shit ton of power then he teleports you forward he gives you a power 
So now you can interact. And then next turn, before that character even activates, you could have Lockjaw give him another power. Or if Lockjaw interacted with the portal, he doesn't have it. But you say you do that to Killmonger or Rogue or Zemo, it'd be really easy for them to then like, okay, walk. Now they charge onto the point. Maybe they kill that two threat that was sitting there on the back D. And now you're up on detrition and up on points. Yeah, which just puts them in a in a bad scenario. Like ultimately, this game is a dice game, and while that shit can happen, um, obviously you can't plan for those things to to go down that way. But when they do slightly go in your favor, you can just immediately warp the game and go, "Cool, I took four out of six damage. Sick, I'm gonna beat you up now." This game is all about finding incremental advantages. And sometimes that advantage is making more and more difficult decisions for your opponent so that their ability to make decisions wears down over the course of the game. Bringing interesting tactical options like these can make it more difficult for your opponent. Where There are some times where I will warn my opponent about this stuff just to try to like fluster up their plan. You know, I don't want to be like get too into mind game stuff, but Sometimes I'll tell them about the things that I can do just because I'm like, I don't even necessarily have to pull the trigger. I want them trying to play around all of it and seeing if I can catch where they make a mistake. What it comes down to is understanding what you're trying to achieve and how you can achieve that. Uh, Sometimes, you know, your opponent goes, oh, hey, this is there's an obvious plan to what you're trying to do. You're trying to get up there be aggressive, whatever, but there can be subtle reasons why you're choosing this round to do it in. Yeah. So I know you primarily play brotherhood, but uh, I don't think, do you have a way to kind of do this in your normal brotherhood roster? Um, not, I mean, there's always the log movers who can get up there, be aggressive, um, and just be in your face or be an obvious target. Oh, I suppose you run Quicksilver, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess as soon as you give Quicksilver one power, then he's online to get wherever he wants anyway. So you're Correct. threatening the back D, like, just totally casually. Uh, which is a Quicksilver is a character that wants to go last anyway, just yeah. to be annoying. Right? He's like, oh, cool. You want to punch him? Go for it. See what happens. I did. And like Quicksilver, like maybe you just do it and just deny that other point because that could be the difference, especially yeah. if it's like a Hammer's extremist console situation where you thought it was going to go four to four and suddenly it's four to three. Um, and that's what I was mentioning earlier about um, being aggressive and just denying points is that let's say you move a Quicksilver up or a character like that, right? And they get to your back point. Sure, they didn't score a point. They denied you a point. But now you have a Quicksilver standing next to you. (laughs) Do you dedicate resources to punching Quicksilver? And if you don't kill him or he gets an extra power and he's on three power because you threw something in Magneto or something, right? And Or you just like slightly damage him with one attack and now he's sitting on three power. And the best thing you can have is someone else who moved mid-range and now has to fire backwards. You're like, well, he can just walk away. And just punch you anyway. <laughs> uh, because Quicksilver, the, the thing I love the most about Quicksilver, honestly, uh, is the fact that he's not ranged through. He's ranged three in all of his attacks. Oh, yeah. I and people forget constantly forget that. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, wait, what? And you're like, oh, yeah, he's a fast boy. 
Yeah, he's super fast, and he attacks at a pretty extended range. And sometimes he gets a movement out of that, too. Yeah, you just randomly like, okay, cool, I punched you, I move forward, and I punch this other person. You're like, wait, what? Yep, that just happened. Yep, that's just Quicksilver, Quicksilver business. All right. Well, I think we've kind of exhausted the the discussion here. I feel like we've got the good key points out. Was there anything that you felt like we still needed in, Danny? Uh, no, besides love of the D. <laughs> I mean, Danny, you know me. I love the D. And that's not yeah. just D for Danny. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously I love myself. I mean, I was meaning Iron Fist. But yeah, you too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Danny Rand's the coolest guy ever. <laughs> well, no, not really. I mean, if you watch the show, he was kind of a douchebag. Yeah, that's like watching TV and stuff. I don't do that. Comics oh, yeah. forever. <laughs> All right. Well, I think this is as good a spot as any to wrap up the episode. Danny, thank you so much for being my cohort in this chaos. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's always fun. I hope people learn something from all this. And we do it again. And I think the real lesson is the most OP thing that you can do is play Storm X-Men and confound your opponent with movement shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs>